0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Scanner Podcast. I am joined today by Ian Dobbs. Ian is a California State University Fullerton uh, kinesiology exercise science grad student. He uh, is focusing primarily on human performance, and he's also the head strength and conditioning coach at Segerstrom High School. So uh, this is this is kind of near and dear to my heart because as many of you know, that I, I'm a pretty big proponent of, of exercise science education. Um, obviously over some of the other podcasts that I've had, I've kind of changed my tune a little bit and, and said that, you know, as long as you're willing to dedicate the time and energy and, and get a good, solid, um, mentor to teach the correct techniques of strength training, then I think a person could be a successful coach. But I do think it's very important uh, especially for strength and conditioning coaches and exercise science majors to have that educational background. And uh, there's a lot that goes into it. The science behind it, I think, is very important. It's not everything, but it's definitely something. So, Ian's going through that right now, uh, and I've experienced it too. So, Ian, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Uh, it's my pleasure, man. So, fill in some gaps for us. Tell the people who you are, what you do, and why you do it.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm fairly new to the world of strength and conditioning. Um, Graduated two years ago with my undergrad, got my CSCS right away, and just been grinding ever since. Um, I got my first job as an SNC coach at Seekerstrom High School, where I've been for the last year, and I've experienced a little bit of excess. Um, Football team really did well this season Um, in terms of win-loss record. We made it pretty far in the city playoffs. Baseball won league for the first time in school's history, so those are probably the two teams I work with the most, so I experienced some success there. But um, as you mentioned earlier, um, I'm a grad student. Well, technically, former grad student. I took my last final yesterday. So, yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> awesome. barring I didn't bomb those finals, I will have my master's. <laughs> but um, during my time as a grad student, I did a lot of research in the strength conditioning lab. So at Fullerton, we have something called the Center of Sport Performance, which is basically a mixture of the Human Performance Lab, where I'm usually at, Biomechanics Lab, um, Exercise Physiology Lab, and the Muscle Physiology Lab, and all of us kind of produce a lot of research, um, all pertaining to strength conditioning and making athletes bigger, faster, and stronger. And you can find this in most um, journal strength conditioning research papers that come out monthly. And so um, I did... A lot of work. I was pretty productive. I have three papers in review right now that I'm either first, off off, first author on or helping or I'm on the paper, two in the works. And I was fortunate enough to earn myself a place at a PhD in Cardiff, Metropolitan Wales, where I'll continue doing research and hopefully strength and conditioning training in the strength and conditioning field. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So that's kind of my story.
0: Well, that, that's awesome. And I think that's... Um to go back to something you said about, you know, having success already uh, early on in your career, I think so much is in sports and athletics is all, all of the success and glory goes to the coaching, not necessarily strength and conditioning coach, mm-hmm. but yeah. coaching staff, you know, the people that are exactly, on the field and yeah. scene. But uh-huh. if you really think about it, like without the strength and conditioning, proper strength and conditioning coaches and what, what goes on in the weight room you know, if you have injured players on the field or Mm -hmm. not on the field, they're on the sidelines, injured players on the sidelines, that goes, it doesn't go to the coach that goes directly to the strength and conditioning. You know, that speaks Mm -hmm. volumes for what you're doing and what, and what your, um, your assist, your assistants are doing. So tell us a little bit more about, about the Sigurström high school coaching.
1: Yeah. So, um, I, like you said earlier, um, you know, a lot of it, it has to do with this coaching staff and I'm really fortunate because the coaching staff, particularly the football staff and the baseball staff, man, they're the best. Um, I have a lot of support from them. Um, I think a lot of them are Cal State Fullerton grad students. So it's all kind of in the family. And I have an athletic director who's just super supportive and it's almost like too good of a situation. I feel like I've been babied as an SNC coach. I, I hear people, I hear horror stories of people's first job and mine has just been great. But like like you mentioned earlier, like I know I've experienced success with my athletic teams, and I'm under no delusion that you know I did everything and like because I wasn't on the field, I didn't you know play the game. Um, but I, I do like to think that I did play some um, part in their athletic development. We didn't experience any big injuries, particularly in the football or baseball, which I think may be due to being stronger athletes because we're more robust. The stronger we are, and as you mentioned. Um, Yeah, like it was just kind of doing my best to be supportive of the staff doing a lot of communicating with the teams, um, kind of letting the coaches know what I'm doing during each phase of training and really not just cutting them off and kind of being two separate things. I kind of think when we have this very good line of communication from top down, um, that's when you see the most success. Um, So I just tried to implement that as early as possible as well as um, earning the trust of my athletes. I think that's a really underrated part of strength conditioning, especially when you're new, like myself. I thought, oh, I could just have this science degree and you know, I could train these guys all they want. But if you don't have um, those tools to earn the trust of the athletes and the coach and you can't communicate with them, they're not gonna let you do anything. And I think I did a decent job of developing friendships before developing athletes. So, and I'm still working on it to this day.
0: Yeah. That, well, that's a lifelong thing that that's, you know, that, yeah. cause everybody's so individual in their sport and, and, uh, as athletes too, it's, it's a lot of managing ego and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. i and managing yourself and to go and go back to the horror stories. I, <laughs> I've, I've heard kind of, the, I've heard the same things as the more mm-hmm. um, podcasts that I do with uh, strength coaches. I hear kind of like, I hear extremes on both ends. I hear just what you said. Like it's been fantastic. I can't believe it's gone so well. Even people like um, that are in like lower level division, uh, like three schools will talk Mm -hmm. about how awesome it is and how great it was. But then on the exact same hand, you know, I have somebody else coming from like the same league and they're like, you know, it was miserable. It was terrible. Here's what we had to work with. Uh The one thing about it is though, with all of these people, their passion for what they do really shows through and they're still doing it you know they're, they're like mm-hmm. yeah that was 10 years ago and now here's what we're doing yeah I mean, it, takes, it takes a special kind of person to to be a strength and conditioning coach I'm learning oh, more, yeah. and more and more about that because it's I I really do believe that most of the coaches that I've I've spoken with they like and I, I kind of picked this up from you too they like the grind and the hustle of it more mm-hmm. than like accolades or recognition or anything else
1: oh yeah it's all about being humble and you know working hard and not expecting anything in return yeah yeah
0: definitely but then but like you said you you have the backing a really strong backing of a, a sounds like a great school so oh yeah yeah so how do you build that buy-in with your with your athletes like you were talking about
1: uh believe it or not as um silly as it is, I don't, I've never really come across this or heard about on other podcasts, but you know, when I'm working, when I was first working with like the football team and doing um, stuff with the baseball team, I came in and, you know, I was kind of like, not so much the meathead, but you know, you have to be loud. You have to like display yourself as like authoritative to some degree so that they would actually listen to you. But what I really noticed, I got respect from athletes is when, They're deadlifting or bench pressing or squatting or power cleaning, even for that fact. And a guy is struggling with getting the bar up on 225. And all of a sudden, I pull his shirt off, get on the bench, and hit it for about a couple reps. And then all the guys are like, ooh, and ah. And believe it or not, and then joking around with them afterwards, I think like showing them that you lift weights too, especially in the football culture and sort of baseball culture, I think that kind of made me look more like one of the guys as opposed to another coach that's telling me what to do. And Mm -hmm. so in that turn, um, they saw me working out, and they didn't just see me as like this outside presence. And I think that kind of helped do buy-in. And I still do that from time to time where um, I'll just, you know, grab a weight cold and just lift it myself. And believe it or not, it works pretty well. It buys you you buy-in for a couple weeks, and then you have to do something else. But <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I think also to to get even more buy in from athletes is also getting the buy in from the coaches because yeah. um, the coaches have the absolute ability, the head coach, to undermine you if you wanted to. Um, like if I were saying going over what we're working out today and what we're going to do, um, if the coach wanted to, he could say, "Oh, we're not doing that. We're doing something else in front of everyone." and kind of take the power away but I think when the coach chimes in and is like very supportive of you I think that also gets athletes to want to do your workout so I like I mentioned earlier it was all about um, establishing that relationship with coaching staff early on so that there's no I guess say like um, not like talking behind the back but kind of go um, questioning and thinking twice about what the program is and if they could make it better if they n- needed to. So I think those are kind of the main things I've done to get buy-in from my athletes.
0: Yeah, that, I think you made a good point because if, if a player who spends most of their time on the field practicing, you know, hours and hours a week, and I don't know how, how often, you know, your players are in the weight room, but mm-hmm. you know, they're in front of those coaches practicing, uh, you know, watching film and, you know, studying playbooks and they're, they're doing drills And if they don't get constant feedback from their coaches saying, All right, you know, when you're in the weight room, you're you're listening to Dobbs and he's the Mm -hmm. man in there and here's here's why you need to do that. If it's if it's not discussed at all, that's that's hindering you. But if Mm -hmm. it's discussed in a negative way, that's also hindering you. So having exactly yeah. yeah, the coach's side is is huge. What about parents? Do you do you interact with parents often? Oh. that really folded into <laughs> it? No,
1: luckily not. I have not interacted with any parents. The most I've really interacted with is I have a freshman kid that, that's um he's a great he's a great kid. He does multiple sports. He does football, basketball, track, and all that stuff. And his big brother is one of the athletic trainers. And um that's probably the closest I've gotten to interacting with parents because I, I kind of tell this guy, um, you know, tell your, tell your brother to take it easy because this kid wants to be the next division one athlete, professional athlete. And he, he's under the impression that more is better and it's yeah. quantity over quality. And, you know, like every time he comes to the weight room, it's coach, my, my shins hurt, my, my hips hurt. Like I'm getting cracking in my shoulder, like little niggling injuries. I think that's because of overuse and, there isn't that time to recover. And so I kind of talk with um, his big brother, who's kind of like the voice of reason. Yeah. And, and so like, I don't, yeah, I don't think I've interacted with any parents to be honest um, other than the coaches and um, maybe some family members.
0: Yeah. That, that yeah. might be, that might be like a, you know, a whole other aspect of it. If you get, if you get uh, parental buy-in, you know, that, that's mm-hmm. almost yeah. like having an assistant coach. Because then, because then when they're home, hopefully that, that, uh, parent is saying, Hey, you know, you got to go to sleep. You got to do that. You know, they're, they're keeping them mm-hmm. in line, even on the, even on the outside of the training room. That, so yeah. that multiple sport athlete, that's, that's something that I'm kind of interested in that I've been, um, talking to a lot of people about and doing some yeah. research on. So do you find that, let's say a primary sport for instance, is football for that one person. Do you find mm-hmm. that? You see better athleticism out of people who participate in more sports, or is it better to have one sport focus?
1: Um, this is actually a great question because in um, at my school that I'm going to be doing a PhD, and um, one of their main focuses is long-term athletic development. And um, I think this question comes up a lot with coaches and early specialization in sport. And so I think that it's good for for, you know, young athletes, especially a 14-year-old high school kid, uh, to do multiple sports and get kind of like that um, different – he develops different motor patterns, he develops different skills in his body. And I don't think that early sports specialization is necessary at that young an age. Um, I guess there is a point where you do have to consider where you want to go as an athlete if you want to do college football or college track. But I think on the same – end of the spectrum you don't want to do multiple sports to the point where you're getting injuries as this kid is doing um he's not really giving his body time to rest and um you also have to consider that he's still a growing kid um i think he grew like an inch or two within the last couple months and so with that growing you know we know his bones are getting larger and he's developing different a different body type and different leverages of his limbs so i think what we what I consider, or at least tell him, is I tell him, good job at you know, doing multiple sports, but give your body time to rest. He's doing football, and then all of a sudden he's going straight to basketball season, and then it's immediately track season, and then all of a sudden now he's doing seven-on-seven passing league, and then he's going to do those summer two-a-days, and it, it's just asking for injury. So yeah. I think it's good for young athletes to play multiple sports, but there should be at least a couple months of rest period or where they can go and kind of take a take a couple weeks off from doing any sort of athletic movements, just so that they preserve their bodies, especially young athletes.
0: Yeah, especially if they're strength training on top of that. Mm-hmm. So you get all you get all those sports. You know, a kid mm-hmm. playing five six sports plus summer sports, and then mm-hmm. he's weight training, probably hitting hitting the weight room. Oh yeah, the summer too. Yeah, I didn't but, even mention so, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's just adding on top of it. Even though strength training is uh, you know, proper strength training protects against injure, injury, injury. Mm-hmm. If the kid's already fatigued, man, I mean, you're talking about central nervous system overload. You're talking about, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it could be, it could be simple, something simple as doing just like a body weight squat. And all of a sudden you've got, you know, an injured knee or something because the kid's so fatigued.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, I was going to add on to that, that. Um, I forgot to mention that like there were multiple times like this kid that I'm specifically that I'm talking about, Um, I train them just one-on-one. I've I've trained them in the team setting, but I've done one-on-one sessions with them. And it'll be, you know, right after a heavy track practice or a football practice. And I'm like, I'm looking at him like, well, like, come on, like, it's not like quantity over quality. And so, you know, I'll do some soft tissue work with him and we'll kind of do something. But he, like what he wants is yeah. The traditional hypertrophy workout to feel sure. sore, even more sore than he already does feel, and it's also I think more so than strength conditioning. It's also like a like a injury prevention, limiting those injuries as well. I think that's like an under 100%. 100% under appreciated side of a strength coach.
0: Hundred percent it is because I, I just had this conversation with somebody the other day about how. When you when you talk to an athlete about okay now it's time for like you said soft tissue work they mm. almost see that as a punishment like why oh, yeah. why can't I lift weights what did I do how come I'm not doing this is something wrong but it's like no yeah. this is all part of like your recovery system <laughs> but work, yeah. the the gains that you get in the fr- from working out in the gym they don't come just from that that's the recovery period here's why it's so important that education piece and this is exactly why I think it's so important. Um, to, to go the route you're going is because you have the educational side you can explain to them on the deepest level why it's so important to back off yeah you know but, I mean that's just yeah. the truth
1: mm-hmm yeah so, I agree
0: yeah yeah I, I hope so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so, so I a- yeah I, I ca- so I kind of want to back up a little bit um, you mentioned some um, some research papers earlier and I was wondering if you can kind of go over Uh, your own research and and things that you're working on right now.
1: Yeah. So um, the study that I have that is was my thesis, it's in review right now. Um, It's basically an idea that I had when I first came to grad school. So I knew I wanted to do a study with rugby players. And so what I did was look up a ton of rugby research, and I came across this um, paper and it was discussing, you know, the role of horizontal forces during sprinting as opposed to vertical forces. And I read it, and it was a really cool topic. So generally, when we um, talk sprinting, we know that stronger athletes run faster. That Anyone could tell you that. But what's really interesting is that they use a mixture of horizontal forces and vertical forces during sprinting, yet we do squat and deadlift as a means for hip extension and triple extension training. So what I did was look up a couple papers and there's a lot of tests, um, familiar with isometric mid thigh poles and isometric squats. So what I did is I got one of those safety squat bars that kind of wrap around your shoulders and the back of your neck. And I put it at the front of a squat rack and I had them um, put their body at a 45 degree angle so that now they're not pushing directly up, but they're pushing forward like they would at the start of a sprint or in the acceleration phase when there's a body lean. And so below my, um, my participants was a force plate. And what was really cool is that we were able to measure horizontal force as well as vertical force. And then we had them perform the test with two legs um, on their dominant leg, their non-dominant leg. And mind you, they're pushing as hard as they can at a 45 degree angle. Um, and the bar is not moving. So they're measuring that max strength, max power, rate of force development, all that good stuff. And then afterwards I had them run outside. um, and we measured splits at five meters, 10 meters, 15 meters and 30 meters. And what was really interesting was that we found that horizontal force production was highly correlated with acceleration time in these athletes. So that kind of supported the literature regarding horizontal training and the importance in regards to sprinting. Yet, you know, every day we squat and we do deadlifts and expect to get faster, which it will, but this is more about that efficiency of application as you run. And yeah, so that's kind of what my thesis study was about. And while I can't really, you know, get all my athletes to do an isometric forward push, horizontal push, what we can do is stuff like prowler pushes or um, running with a sled behind you. I think stuff like that, or even um, broad jumps, stuff like that, does increase horizontal force production, and in turn makes you faster, according to my paper.
0: That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, for the, like the you mentioned uh, triple extension for mm-hmm. people who don't know like technical terms, like you know, like those kind of explosive forceful movements. Can you explain mm-hmm. exactly? Uh, what those exercises target,
1: yeah, so triple extension is basically extension of the foot, the knee, and the hip, so right. as we run we we push off and we get that forward lean, and so triple extension is a very aggressive movement that um, is very applicable to a lot of sports, and so um horizontal training helps with that because. When you move horizontally forward, the main muscle groups are the glutes, the glute meads, and the hamstrings muscle groups. And so um, hip extension, which is a part of triple extension, is, those are the main muscle groups. So kind of um, training that posterior chain will help you get faster and make you better at um, triple extension. But what's also interesting is that, you know, we don't run with uh, – we run in a cyclical moment with both legs. So it's important to train triple extension in both legs as opposed to triple extension at the top of the squat or at the deadlift, stuff like that.
0: Right. Do you mean like individually?
1: Uh, well, yeah, like individually, yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so the, in my paper um, or in my study, I had them do single leg isometric pushes, right. um, which is very awkward, but that's a max effort and that's what you do at the beginning of a sprint. You give max effort. So, yeah, so that's kind of what I've researched and I'm lucky enough because, um, my thesis topic in my PhD school is kind of, kind of build off of what I already did. So I'm lucky in that sense as well as that I could get to continue researching this horizontal force development and its efficiency with regards to sprinting.
0: Well, talk a little bit more about your next step in education, because I think that's, uh, uh, that's extremely interesting that it plays off of each other.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm very fortunate um, when I was looking at uh, PhD schools to attend, um, I think what stood out about part of Metropolitan was uh, the fact that I've met the professors before and the topics that they wanted me to do. So what I'm going to be doing is force velocity profiling in youth athletes. So I think force velocity profiling has gained a lot of attention in recent years. So what it does is it creates a force velocity curve for individual athletes. And we all know that, um, you know, some athletes might have a bias to force, such as your powerlifters, while some have a bias to velocity. And so what's interesting about that is in regards to sprinting, if we can profile certain people and we see that they have high force production, but low velocity and they're biased to that force, what we could do is increase the velocity and therefore make them a faster sprinter and vice versa. If they're very fast, but they don't have that force and they don't have that ability to produce high amount of force, especially in the horizontal direction, then we can bias towards that. So what I'm gonna be doing is force velocity profiling in youth athletes. As I mentioned earlier, um, Cardiff Metropolitan is kind of like on, um, they're kind of leading the charge with long-term athletic development. And so I'm going to do force velocity profiling with youth athletes, and I'm going to basically use horizontal force production as a means to increasing velocity as well as force, because um, a lot of like papers, um, are you familiar with J.B. Morin and Sam Azzino, Pierre Sam No, I, I'm not. Yeah, so there, there, there are two guys, uh, French French guys, that are very into um, horizontal force production versus for, vertical force production um, topic, and they've kind of alluded that um, we can increase our sprinting force, um, as I mentioned earlier, by doing heavy sled towing. So a paper came out by is actually a Fullerton um, professor. He um, he found that when you do sprinting with you know sled tow behind you. of your body weight and under is optimal if you don't want to break technique. So, after about 13%, there's a break in technique. However, if you don't really necessarily care about technique and your um, primary goal is to simply increase horizontal force production, you may want to go higher. You may want to go 30%, 40%, 50% body weight, which is ridiculously heavy. But At the same time you're improving your ability to go forward because you're you're now your your trunk so i guess your chest is way forward and your posterior foot kind of makes you at a 45 degree angle the heavier it is if you had a light weight you'd be almost straight up like at top speed so um if you're so if you have a really high level athlete um, like a sprinter for example 100 meter sprinter um, who already has like technique, um, down, you know, it, it may not be beneficial to just do 13% body weight sprint because we all have different power profiles. You may want to increase that. And there are, that's kind of the stuff that I've done with my athletes. Um, especially football and baseball, by no means are these kids, um, you know, elite athletes. I have a few that are going to go to college and play one day, but they're not elite. So what I've done with them is instead of you know, worrying about technique, what I do is I hammer in, you know, A skips, B skips, um, stuff like that. That really helps with technique. And then later on in the workout or another day, I'll do heavy sled towing. Um, That's well above 30% of their body weight. And what it does is I I reinforce good technique um, under unloaded conditions, but then I also increase their horizontal force production. So it's kind of mixing both worlds. But I think that force velocity profiling is really going to catch on especially since if we can individualize training we would get a lot better results. I like to think of it as, um, when you get a team setting, you kind of take a shotgun method. You just want to hit, you just want to hit the most. And but the problem with that is that some people get left in the dust where they think if you can do sniper training, we can individualize per person. Um, you get a group of guys, Oh, you need more force. And then this group needs more velocity training. Um, it's a little more work for the strength and conditioning coach, but in turn, I think it'll make our athletes a lot better because we're individualized. And that's kind of what I want to do when I go to Cardiff med is I want to produce research that is applicable to strength coaches. Cause I think there's a really big divide right now between strength and conditioning researchers and strength and conditioning practitioners. Um, a lot of them kind of bash each other, but I think if there was a little more people that are on both lanes and can give research that is usable and, um, applicable to the strength coaches, then I think we diversify a lot more as a industry.
0: Well, yeah, and you become more credible and then mm-hmm. your your resources expand too. Yeah. Right? I mean you're not just taking like a one size fits all. That's not that's that's how all training should be. One size mm-hmm. should should not fit all. Oh yeah. no, yeah. You're very individualized and even inside those groups, you know, you split those people who need one type of training versus the other. You're going to see anomalies in, inside of those groups even. Exactly, yeah. And, yeah, and so and that's what the research shows. The research shows that and you know, when you a person like you comes along and can put that into practice, um, well, that just that just ups the the level of everybody's game I think yeah so exactly
1: oh. and I think our goal in our industry is you know we're helping others uh, we're helping our athletes for one but I think we, we also need to help uh, the people in our industry I think
0: yeah. that's what Definitely. really
1: it comes down to and so that's what I want to do I want to make research that's applicable and easy and uh, um, very informative and something that we can all use yeah
0: well, I definitely think you're on the right track. It sounds like you've got uh, a lot of good work ahead of you and uh, uh-huh. we're definitely going to have to keep in touch to see uh, what evolves. So, Yeah, definitely. If if anybody has any questions, comments, concerns, Ian, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Um, best way to get a hold of me is my email. It's dobs at gmail.com. Um, you can follow my personal Instagram, which is Dobbs underscore ij except it's it's just photos of me working out and photos of my fiance which <laughs> i don't know how interested people would be with that but um what they should do is follow at csp fullerton where you can see a lot of cool stuff especially if you are interested in like uh, the research that's going on um and as well as opportunities within fullerton itself i think that'd be a great source of information and i've recently got a lot more better at using twitter um that's at e-n-s-d-o-b-b it's a little complicated but um yeah mostly my stuff on twitter is just um i'm just kind of passing along information about sports science strength and conditioning research stuff of that nature um basically the only people i follow is um, strength and conditioning researchers and coaches and so i just it's a
0: podcast
1: What's that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send that. Uh, I'll send that. Yeah. I didn't know you guys had a Twitter. I knew there was a Facebook and um, Instagram,
0: it's, it's but just, yeah. It's just at, at Eric Feigl. I just kept it. Oh, set. at Eric Feigl. Okay. I kept yeah. it. I'm kidding. I'll give it a follow right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's that's cool. I hope people do reach out to you because I think um, I think you're on the right path to, be, to doing some great yeah, work. Yeah, thank you. So, Ian, I appreciate taking the time, man. Um, one thing I like to end podcasts with, and I didn't mention this early, is uh-huh. um, if you know this could come from a movie, this could come from research, it could come from your mom. I don't care. <laughs> Do you have like it? Is there a a quote that you that you like a lot that you use a lot or that's made a real impact in your life that you could share with everybody?
1: Oh yeah. Um kind of silly i think this was my i think this was my high school graduation quote but um are you familiar with the wu-tang clan uh, what? Are, you, are you of course i am <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> awesome so um i guess ghost face killer at all in nice. terms of research yeah so <laughs> they have a song called um older gods from i forgot i think it's wu-tang forever and the chorus is uh, it only takes a lesson a day just to analyze life one time in a respectable mind and I kind of like that quote for a couple of reasons because um, every day I try to, you know, learn one more thing, whether it's something silly like um, a new function on Excel or, um, you know, something on PowerPoint or even coming across a good research paper uh, that, that I can use in the future. I, I like to, you know, just learn one lesson a day because at the end of 365 days, you have now 365 new skills or pieces of information that can come up at some point. So, that's awesome. Yeah, Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang is for everyone. So. Yes. <laughs> Not just the kids, for everyone.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> that's great, man. Well, all right. Um, <laughs> Wu-Tang is for everyone. That's that's That should have been your quote right there. Yeah. Wu-Tang is for everyone.
1: Maybe that'll awesome. be someone else's quote. That's going to be my quote.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm taking it. Yeah. All right, Ian. I, I appreciate you taking the time in. No, um, thank I'm you for you. having me. My pleasure, man. And we'll talk to you soon. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more Fitness Candor.